Hey everyone, welcome to episode 30 of Truck Safe Live, the show where we and our guests tackle the hot button issues impacting highway transportation. I'm Brandon, Truck Safe and Childress Law, both of which are dedicated to helping motor carriers develop and maintain cutting edge safety programs. Good show in store today. We're talking about log falsifications, a uh, a huge issue for lots of carriers and certainly lots of drivers. It's routinely ranks as one of the uh, most common violations discovered during roadside inspections and also in DOT audits. So uh, what are causing these problems and more importantly, what can fleets and drivers do to get control of it? That's what we're discussing on today's episode. Uh, excited to be joined again by my friends Rob Carpenter and Brian Runnels. So should be a great discussion coming up. Before we get there, a few things uh, going on at TruckSafe. We just wrapped up our TruckSafe Fleet Compliance Boot Camp. We talked about this uh, for many months in advance. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined us in Orlando, Florida. It was a great conference. Uh, thanks to the speakers and thanks to our sponsors for making it happen. Um, spent two days packed, jam-packed full of DOT compliance discussion. Uh, it was it was a great discussion. Had a lot of great questions and input from those in attendance. So um, uh, if you didn't catch this one, be sure to stay tuned. Uh, we're going to try and do these twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall. So we're going to start planning our next one in the spring here pretty soon. Details are available at trucksafebootcamp.com. Also, if you subscribe to our newsletter, which is the next thing I was going to recommend, uh, you can do so at trucksafe.com slash subscribe. Then we will push out notifications whenever we finalize the details for the next one of those. But uh, we hope to see you at one of those in the future. Uh, also, I'll mention our TruckSafe um, network. If you're not a member of this already, I would encourage you to join it over at trucksafenetwork.com. We also have an app available in the App Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, this is a social network for safety pr professionals, for fleets uh, to gather together, ask questions, learn from one another, and have access to all of our content that we push out through TruckSafe, detailed articles, videos, podcasts, everything like that. So we hope to see you in there. Um, what else is going on? Uh, that's about it with TruckSafe. A few things going on in the industry that are worth talking about. It's been a few weeks since we've done one of these shows, so glad to be back here with you. If you're here with us, by the way, say hey in the comments so we know that you're watching. Um, things going on in the industry, saw a couple things come through last week, and this week uh, I saw that the FMCSA is extending their comment period for their safety rating, safety fitness determination, ANPRM, Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, uh, until the end of November, November 29th. Uh, this is the rulemaking that we discussed a couple of shows back where the FMCSA is toying with potentially changing up the way that we do motor carrier safety ratings in the United States, uh, potentially moving away from that three-tier system that we are familiar with, the satisfactory, conditional, and unsatisfactory, and potentially starting to tie those scores to your CSA scores, uh, or, or those ratings to your CSA scores, which would be a huge deal. Um, so anyway, it's, a, it's early on in the rulemaking process, just an advance notice of proposed rulemaking, um, but the FMCSA is looking for feedback from the industry. This is your opportunity to go in there and uh, uh, give them your mind on on this topic. So make sure you do so. You've got until November 29th now to do it. Uh, you can file those at regulations.gov in docket number FMCSA-2022-0003. Uh, the other thing I noticed this week, um, this came through my email. Uh, this was, seems like a pretty big deal, um, but it doesn't seem very wide, uh, very widely published at this point. But I got this email from FMCSA's IT folks uh, indicating that anybody who's a user of the FMCSA's portal, which is essentially going to be motor carriers that are using the portal to access their CSA scores and their clearinghouse accounts and everything that you need to, to keep your information up to date with the FMCSA, um, you're going to have to change the way that you log into that system. Uh, as of December 1st of this year, so we're talking in the next month or so, uh, you're going to have to set up a new account through login.gov, which is the government website that um, allows you to do like two-factor authentication where you got to get text messages to confirm you are who you are. Um, 
But anyway, you're going to have to have that effective December 1st in order to log on onto your portal account. And if you don't have that by that date, then you're not going to be able to log on. So I am, I suspect we're going to get to December 1st and there's going to be a lot of confused people out there that aren't able to access their account. So be sure you do that. Um, you should have gotten an email. If you're a user of the portal, you, you should have gotten an email about this. But be sure to do that or else you won't be able to access the important data that you need to through your portal account. All right. So those are the uh, couple things I had to talk about. Um, let's move on to today's topic, uh, which again is log falsification. According to FMCSA data, false logs rank as the fourth most common driver-related violation discovered during roadside inspections over the past four years and the most common violation discovered in DOT audits. This year alone, 2023, year-to-date, law enforcement has discovered nearly 50,000 log violations during roadside inspections, and the FMCSA has assessed hundreds of thousands of dollars in civil penalties against truck and bus companies for these types of violations. So why is this still such a problem now that electronic logging devices are commonplace, and what can carriers do to get control of the issue? That's what we're ta- tackling on today's show. Again, like I said, grateful to be joined by my friends and colleagues, Rob Carpenter, now officially a VP and Director of Managed Services for uh, here with us at TruckSafe, and Brian Reynolds, VP of Safety with Reliance Partners. Welcome back, guys. Hey, Brandon. Hey. How's it going? It's going all right. Glad to have you back. Uh, you both were at the boot camp with me. Um, appreciated your uh, sage advice to all of those in attendance. And I know we got a lot of great feedback. So uh, thanks again for joining me there. How was Orlando for you guys? It was good. It wasn't hot. Too hot. Anyway. It was a quick, it was a quick turnaround because I had to go from there to the MCNE conference out in Austin. So it was didn't get to spend much time down there. That was kind of a drag. Yeah, a little bit. I was going to ask you, how was MCENA? It was good. Um, you know, there was, with the, the talk, with the talk of the economy being the way that it is, that, that pretty much ruled the day. Hmm. Um, everything from what Chris Spear talked about to um, just side conversations. There's like, God, how, how do some people make it through this? And, you know, when's it going to get better? That, that, Boy, if I knew if I knew the answer I was, to that, I was gonna say, did anybody have an answer for that? No, not really. I mean, they, people are saying that it 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 may take, start taking an upturn Q two of next year, hmm. uh, maybe even to Q three. I mean, it, it won't be a windfall where we see everything go back to two thousand twenty, you know, two thousand nineteen uh, hysteria. Yeah. But you know it maybe we've hit the bottom and we'll start pulling ourselves out somewhat, but they don't see it for this Christmas season. That's for sure. Mm. Yikes. So that kind of goes along with, I saw also at, at that conference that Atri released its annual report on top issues, top industry issues kind of split out by those expressed by drivers and those by motor carriers. Did you sit in on that session? Did you make it for that? Unfortunately I didn't. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, able to be there on that because that comes out on Saturday, okay. uh, mid afternoon. So I wasn't able to be at that one, uh, but I did read the list after the fact, and you know, it's economy an, was number one. It's always an interesting report to see what issues drivers think are the top issues that they're experiencing versus what motor carriers see as the top issues and kind of comparing those two lists. We'll probably do a show or, uh, or an article on that topic here pretty soon. But uh, that's one of the big things that came out of that ATA conference here recently. But anyway, today we are talking about log falsifications. Brian, this was a great idea. You had to do a show on this. I've been wanting to do something, some kind of content on this topic for a long time. I uh, just haven't gotten around to it. So how big of a problem in your estimation is this in the industry? Brian, I'll let you kick things off here. I think it's getting even more uh, prevalent and for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we're talking about the economy. So trucking, trucking companies are trying to move more freight with less people and drivers are trying to make more money because maybe loads aren't as easy to come by as they once were. So between those two things, I think we're seeing the, the falsification happen because of both sides, both the motor carrier and the driver. Um, and I, I don't know for a fact, but hey, you know, we got to get this load there. This broker's not going to use us anymore, or they're going to fine us $500. Or hey, 
can you make it? And there's an extra hundred or 200 bucks to do it. Could that be happening? I don't know. It doesn't sound like out of the realm of possibilities. Um, and then drivers. You guys, you guys were both drivers. Did you do this? All the time. Me? Never. <laughs> All the time. I believe we you, just, We just talked about not lying about being a carrier and doing this, Brian, like right before the show. So just, just call, Brian's call falsifying you. his answers on this show. As right. Speak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I think it's it could actually be hidden. Obviously, it's hidden better on paper than it is on electronic. And I think that might also be part of the issue that it's so easy. The different ways to quote unquote hide your hours in an ELD, but they're so easy to find. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and and I, I think I even think that a driver would say, "Hey, get me through the next seven days." And it'll disappear. Well, Rob and I are both finding out this week alone uh, from two different carriers that, you know, we're working on some audit stuff with that six months, that stuff just sits there and hangs out. And, you know, when DOT comes knocking and they give you that list of drivers they want to see, it's going to be drivers that have hours of service violations uh, maintenance violations, you know, those are going to be the, the easy, low-hanging fruit for them to pick off. And there's so many different ways to compare logs to fuel receipts, toll receipts, uh, maintenance repairs, you name it. There's ways to check logs against it. And it's, you know, carriers can get in trouble with that fairly quickly. So speaking of that, I wanted to show this. So this is from FMCSA's um a and I database, which is a good place to go if you ever want to see statistical information on violation data across the entire universe of regulated motor carriers in the United States. This is the website where you can get that information. You can run a lot of cool reports, but this I've got a couple of here that I've pulled up. So this is the FMCSA's database. Uh, that kind of details safety investigations, so DOT audits over whatever time period you picked. Here I've picked the last four years, 2019 through 2023, and you can see I'm looking at all of the violations discovered in all of those audits over that time period and looking at what are the most prevalent violations that the DOT investigators discover when they're in your office, or they do these off-site more and more frequently nowadays, but looking at your historical records, so not roadside inspection but actually doing a DOT audit or compliance review. And you'll see number two on the list here, false reports of duty status. It's a critical level of violation. And I think that's to your point, Brian, what a lot of motor carriers fail to understand is the consequences uh, uh, of these violations in the audit context. I mean, it's not just at that point, a matter of uh, your, your driver getting shut down roadside. Now we're talking about potential fleet wide shutdowns. If you have a systemic problem in this area, which is especially scary because if you look, we've talked about this on other shows, but if you look at the DOT's auditing methodology, the playbook that they use when they come in and do their audits, they're looking, if they're doing a full comprehensive review, they're looking at six different factors. They're looking at general compliance, driver issues, vehicle maintenance, hours of service, drug and alcohol testing, accident records, and hazmat. The only factor in those in those six where violations get double weighted because F FMCSA considers them, them to be the most indicative of future crash risk are hours of service violations. So practically what that means, and I try and hammer this home with all of our clients, is that if you if the DOT investigator comes in, looks at your hours of service records and finds one critical level violation in the hours of service factor, you're not getting out of that audit with anything better than a conditional safety rate. It's just, it's a matter of fact. And that is why we see so many carriers fail an audit, meaning getting out of it with a conditional rating or an unsatisfactory rating is because they struggle with hours of service and primarily with log falsifications. Has that been your guys' experience as well? Yeah. 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 And it only has to be 10%. It's not a big number. So, you know, when they're pulling those logs, they have an idea who they're going to be looking at. And you can probably bet that that number is going to be above 10% pretty quickly. And they're not picking and your all-star drivers. New. No, they're picking not. the ones that they know have hours of service problems. These are not random audits. They are, they are going to pick your worst performing drivers in all of these categories. And that's who you're going to be judged against. 
Well, one of the things that I pulled, I didn't pull it from where you pulled yours, but one of the things that I pulled was, you know, how much, how much has this changed over time? You know, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? And if you look back, it's, uh, 2018, it was three and a half percent of out of service, by, of out of service violations were for frost logs. And now in 2021, it went up to five and a half, almost six percent. So it's gotten wow. worse over time, like Brian was saying. But I think a lot of that goes to exactly what he was saying earlier. It's that that historic thing. Even when when I was driving trucks, and our goal was always, I mean, I actually had carriers that gave me multiple log books and said, "Hey, this seafood has to be from Miami to Hunts Point, New York by tomorrow at two in the morning, or you don't have a job anymore." And obviously, you have that coercion factor in there now. But um, you know, it's it's almost like it's at the cost of doing business. So if you get a $9,000 fine and then they come back a year from late a year from now and they give you another $9,000 fine finding the same thing, it's like it's 18,000 bucks. If you have a large enough fleet, what does what is that? So um, there's that piece. And then the, you know, the average fine for falsification is $7,000. So it's not cheap. Yeah. Well, and then you, one thing I'll, I'll tab on top of that is, what do they say? Over 80% of motor carriers out there are unrated because they haven't had a safety review. They're not going after account uh, trucking companies that are, are doing right. They're not in alert for hours of service. They're going to, that 20% is coming from people that are having issues. It's just like I was told by an inspector one time, we don't want to do clean inspections. They, that's not, really what they're there for. So they're not going to look at those trucks. They're going to look at the ones that have issues or potential issues um, and and work from there. So it's been frustrating. I guess it's just when I brought this topic up to you, it was because it was a, coming out of a place of frustration over the last few weeks where I've, I've seen so many uh, primarily under 100 unit. That's kind of where I, I work. Uh, of these accounts having hours of service issues. And I don't think they understand how critical literally these violations can be and what they can potentially do to them at an audit. And then thereafter trying to fix the problem. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Brian, the 10% threshold. So that's the, so when the DOT's in your office doing a, an audit, you know, they're looking for what are called acute and critical violations. So critical level violations are where they are looking for a pattern of noncompliance. These are all set out in uh, part 385 of the safety regulations. You can see the list of uh, violations that they deem critical and acute. And when it comes to critical level violations like false logs, false logs is a critical level violation. In order to establish a pattern of noncompliance, what they're looking for is a 10% or more violation rate. So that means that if they are looking at 100 days worth of driver logs, if they find 10 or more of them are falsified, then that's going to be a critical level violation. And that is going to downgrade your safety rating to a conditional. And then that's just that one small factor that they're looking at. You know, if they're also looking at issues in driver qualification and vehicle maintenance, you can imagine that it doesn't take a whole lot more to get you to unsatisfactory. And now all of a sudden you're getting a fleet wide shutdown. So the point is it take, it doesn't take much, particularly with log falsifications for these to really cause uh, serious problems. So you both kind of hinted at, and I want to kind of walk through it you know, kind of the distinction between how this used to be a problem with with paper logs and how it is still a problem with electronic logging devices. I want to kind of walk through that. So when we were when we were in the world of paper logs, <clears throat> and you guys know from from experience on kind of both sides of this, but what were some of the common most common ways that you would see log falsifications come up in that paper log world? Well, just well, guys that were running dedicated, they would just wouldn't log a trip or yeah. log the trip then pull it out and run the next one uh, like they, they'd never run. And, well, you know what? I probably shouldn't get into all the ways that you, you get around uh, the signing of BOLs and fuel receipts and stuff like that. I think the statute of limitations for you guys is probably up. Yeah, so we're probably You're good. safe. They'd, they'd find a way if we told them everything. They'd find a way. They're, but loosely yeah. went a long way back then. You know, when I first started out, everybody would give you the book. And it was like, it was it was hard to tear anything out of that book and make it look normal. Like, it's there's a page missing, bro. You know, something's wrong. You had multiple but books, didn't you? I had multiple books, but... <laughs> 
Then I, I was turned on to the loose leaf thing. You know, when I first started getting into truck stops, you find out they have loose leaf. You buy your little binder. You do your page. You tear it out. You throw it away. And you move on with the next page. Like, you you just materialized out of thin air in Missouri. Um, nobody knows how you got there, but you're there. <laughs> Here you are. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, was, that was the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, not. Was, yeah. yeah. Either just throwing away the log or just not accurately logging where you are at particular times and the way that i mean that's sniffed out pretty easily either by law enforcement roadside you had to get there somehow to where you are currently so there there has to be an explanation for it or in an audit the most common way that they would kind of sniff that stuff out is they would compare your driver's paper logs to to supporting documents as brian said so whatever documentation you as the motor carrier have to kind of show where a particular driver is at a given date and time you're supposed to be retaining that along with your driver logs the purpose of that is so that you as the carrier and the dot can then cross-reference those two the supporting documents to the logs and see is driver john doe actually in michigan on uh, april 6th at two o'clock p.m when he says he is or is he somewhere else as judged by fuel receipts or toll receipts or dispatch records anything that that the carriers maintaining to, to show those things. And so that's how they would do it. They would, they would pick a sample of driver logs in an audit and they would request supporting documents for those logs and they would sit there and cross-reference them. And if they didn't line up with the driver's actual logs, they would mark each one of those up as a log falsification. And like I said, if they're looking at a hundred of those, and they find 10 or more of them, that's all it takes. And so that's, you know, those, it was very common occurrence back then. And I think the idea with the ELD rule, at least one of the main ideas was, well, we're going to start to get better control of this because no longer are we going to be relying on the drivers to, uh, you know, to manually input their driving status. The device is going to know when the vehicle's in motion. And so you would have thought that maybe this would have you know, with ELDs being in effect now since 2019, that maybe we would have gotten control of this. But it's still the top tops the list for most common violations. So what's what's the what are the primary culprits nowadays with ELDs that are leading to log falsifications? Rob, you want to take this one first? Well, I, I have seen some people say, well, you know, I mean, everybody knows my thing is motive, so we'll start there. But like. We had this guy who said, you know, I can beat this motive system. You know, I can I can falsify this motive log. And, and essentially what they would do is they would unplug it, the gateway of this device, the ELD, from the ECM, and then they would just drive. And then, you know, it's obviously not tracking anything. So the, the problem is still going to come in where it's like Brian said at the beginning, you might be able to beat it in these little ways on the front end on the driver facing side but you're almost always going to catch it on the back end because there's such a trail. Like when you plug it back in and then you realize, Hey, this vehicle moved, you know, 200 miles. And you know, when it was unplugged, he was in, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and now he's in Maine, but he only drove 10 miles, you know? And I mean, it's easy to catch now. It's not like it used to be. Um, we, we could almost make it extremely difficult for you to catch it, especially with loose leaf. But now with electronics, it's like I said, easier on the front, harder on the back to get away with. So unplugging, physically unplugging the device is one way that you end up with log falsifications. Brian, what, how else are we seeing log falsifications with ELDs? I think the, the biggest one is either what Rob was saying or the improper use of personal conveyance. That is, it, it's such a gray area that it's gone too gray. And, you know, maybe somebody does honestly make a mistake and thought they could use it when they couldn't. But I think it's just a, um, a way to switch the log yeah. over to something else when you're running late and, or you're not going to make it somewhere and they just switch it to personal conveyance or they, they use it to get themselves set up for the next load. I mean, we, you know, there's a, a litany of things that you can not do with it and that people do do with it. And on both accounts, what Rob was saying or, or the, the personal conveyance thing, those are both reports within the ELD system that an auditor can ask for, you know, and yeah, it's the, the odometer jump report or the un, unassigned drive time report. Uh, or the personal conveyance report. Any of those. 
Yeah, we got someone saying finally, uh, or not finally. That's me inserting Rob's words for them. <laughs> FYI, Sam Sarah finally got us an odometer jump report. So, yeah, I mean, these, to Brian's point, these are reports that are not just available to investigators, but more importantly, available to you as the motor carrier that's in charge of managing this stuff that you should be running periodically, probably monthly to see where issues are starting to arise because you better be sure or you better be certain that the DOT is going to be asking and looking at those reports and they're essentially doing those investigators jobs for them. They are pointing them to log falsifications. So if you as the carrier don't know where those things are, you're only going to run yourself into trouble. So you need to at minimum be running not just your violation report. That seems like the most obvious one, the 11 hour, 14 hour, 70 hour violation violation report. I found, I've said this over and over, you know, with log falsifications being the number two uh, the top, uh, in the top violations, both roadside and in audits, those are my biggest concern on the hours of service side of things. No longer substantive violations of the hours of service regulations. And the reason is pretty simple, because if we look to that, um, that, that 10% threshold for critical level violations, that's on a rule by rule basis. So if you think about a DOT investigator in your records, looking at a hundred driver logs, they're looking at, they're looking for substantive violations, uh, 11 hour violations, 14 hour violations, 70 hour violations, 30 minute rest break, and then log falsifications and missing logs. Those are the different rule sets that would would uh, could potentially lead to a critical level violation. But those are all calculated separately. So if you've got drivers that are having 11-hour violations, it's probably relatively few con- uh, compared to the universe of drivers who are having log falsification violations. <clears throat> because all of the log falsification violations get grouped together with one another. So regardless of whether it's a personal conveyance misuse or a driver unplugging his his device or mislogging their fuel time as off duty, all of those get to group group together as false logs and then they add up to that 10% threshold. Whereas your 11 hour is viewed separately from the 14 hour, it's viewed separately from the 70 hour, so you probably have relatively few 11 hour violations and 14 hour violations and 70 hour violations. But when we group together all of your log falsifications, it does not take much to add up to that 10, 10% threshold. So my, 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 the thing I always say is your drivers would probably, you would be better off as the motor carrier for your drivers to have incurred the substantive hours of service violations than to try and conceal them and then create a log falsification. Because I would rather, I would much rather have one 11 hour violation than to have 10 log falsifications because of that 10% threshold. You guys have any thoughts on kind of that mindset there? Do you agree with that? No, I agree with that. Well, they say no, I don't agree with that. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, I think that you know when it comes to those those violations too on a daily basis. You know, you're, you're saying running that report every so often. One of the things that someone in safety has to do every morning is check that unassigned drive time report. That's got to be assigned to somebody, and. I, I hear it that, yeah, we talked to the driver about it and this and that, but they didn't assign the hours back. Will it throw them into violation? Yes, it probably will. And yes, you'll have to shut them down for the appropriate break, whether it's 10 hours or 34, depending on you know how many hours it did throw them over uh, and where it was. But th- all that time has to be assigned back in. Yeah, so, you're doing yourself... No good by allowing that to exist on the unidentified driving report. Same situation I just described. I would rather you assign that to the driver and put them in violation than to have that time sitting out there on an unassigned driving report. And then a DOT investigator pulls that report. They always pull that report in an, in an hours of service investigation. And they're going to line that up against supporting documents. And they're going to see from your dispatch records that John Doe was actually at a receiver's facility on October 26th. But there's only unassigned drive time from his truck on that day. And they're going to write that up probably as a missing log could be construed as a false log as well, but it would probably be written up as a missing log. And that's one of, like I said, one of the things that is going to contribute to a potential critical level violation. Sorry, Rob. Well, cut you off. Part, part of it is the reporting piece. So you got companies have to manage these things too. And I, th- I think that's what ultimately we're all going to, but it's also only as good as what you put in it. So 
when you're assigning this time, I can't tell you the number of times where people have just gone in there saying, hey, I just got to knock out this. So the percentage in that dashboard looks good. It's like, hey, you're 100% compliant because you have no unassigned time or no unassigned segments. When in actuality, if you actually go in there and look at what that admin did, who might be making 10 or $15 an hour, they just went in there and started throwing in names. And I've seen it done countless times. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. This guy doesn't even work here anymore. So how is this assigned to him? And then well, you there's start a dummy admin account. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. These people don't work here. And, you know, it. you can run that report all day long, but sometimes that report will tell on you. And then there's the whole reporting piece as it is. So you've got a, it kind of goes back to the value of the system you're using too. It's like, I'm not, I didn't have to say it. Somebody just came on here and said, Samsara finally got us this report. If your system's not giving you the reporting that you need, then you need to find a system that's giving you either customizable reports or, or better reporting structures. But it, it ultimately goes back to what the company, how they're managing that process. So it's, it's only as good, that report's only going to be as good as the information your admin or whoever's managing that process is putting in it. And if you think the consequences are severe from a DOT perspective, we haven't even talked about the highway accident litigation concerns here. If yeah. you if you guys don't have these log falsifications under control, imagine if one of the drivers who is routinely falsifying these logs goes and kills somebody. And now that now you're thrown into litigation and you better understand that the plaintiff's attorney in that case is going to be well attuned to this issue and is going to be requesting not not just the driver's logs, but also supporting documents in the context of that litigation. And they're going to find these log falsifications. And now it's going to be shown to the jury or the judge or whatever. Hey, here's all of the, the situations where the, this motor carrier allowed this driver to falsify their logs. How can we allow this motor carrier to continue operating trucks out on the on the roads? We have to punish them for this type of bad behavior. And that's where we see these jury, these jury awards tick up. Uh, hours of service issues was on the top 10 list of Atri's report where they had a, a table that showed what are the most common issues that lead to a defense verdict or to a plaintiff's verdict in these types of new clear verdict cases that we're seeing hours of service i want to say was in the top three it may have been the first one um but i just want to be sure we understand that it's not just the dot concerns here it's also the highway accident litigation concerns and well i mean one of the places i was going to go way off task but so you better go ahead if you want to go but <laughs> my, the you know just a real brief story on, on that is we had a customer that had a crash um, that was somebody did an illegal turn and turned in front of one of our trucks and we hit them. Um, actually, no, this was a, a prospect that we were working on and they, they hit them and, and it killed a couple people. And when they looked back at the last seven days logs, there was a falsification two days before. Now, nothing that impacted the crash at all, but they would not reverse the crash because of that, because they said he shouldn't have been there to begin with. So, you know, whether we could argue that some more, possibly, but, you know, he seemed pretty firm that he was not going to overturn that. Yeah. Right. So from from kind of how I've always looked at this is, and this is what I meant when I was going to go way off point here, not too far off, but it's close. Um, you know, as drivers, going back to just when I drove and thinking about the mentality that I had to, one, you know, the, the driver persona has changed a little, so it's not as bad as it was, I don't think. But I was 100% money focused when I drove trucks. So it didn't matter to me what I had to do to get as much money as possible. I was going to run that way. And with that kind of mentality, a lot of it goes back to carriers articulating their expectations to their employees, both at the time of hire and then ongoing throughout it. Um, and not just to the drivers, but to dispatchers who are saying, hey, we need this load to be here by this time. I don't care how you get it done. A lot of it goes to the company articulating those expectations to their drivers and their dispatchers and their and their employees in general to just say, hey, this is the culture we have. I don't know where you worked before, but we don't do that here. And really laying out some some objective guidelines to kind of keep them fenced in. Because if you allow a driver to get that idea in their head that you're good with it, then they're going to go with it. So a lot of it, you kind of got to have to, you kind of have to fence people in, yeah. especially if they're predisposed to, to run wild. It, I know, get the sense it. that a, a lot of carriers, particularly smaller ones, 
have the impression that this is just the, uh, the that an issue that every motor carrier has, that yep. everybody tolerates a certain amount of log falsification. It's just not the case. I mean, we, we work with the largest carriers in the country, a lot of them, and they do not tolerate a single instance of log falsification. They sniff them all out themselves because they know the consequences that flow from log falsifications. They understand this idea that it's probably better to have substantive hours violations than it is to have log falsifications, and they take care of it. They do the things that Rob's talking about. They set it out in their policy. This is exactly what happens if you try and falsify a log. We're going fi- to find it, and we're going to do whatever our progressive disciplinary policy is, and then they stick to it because, like I said, the consequences are too severe. Uh, we got several comments here. Let's see what others are saying. Uh, Brian's asking, am I allowed to keep myself in split sleeper berth all the time, even if I don't do a split sleeper? No, I, I don't even know what that means, to be honest. Maybe you had clarify, and, Brian. Yeah, in some of the, well, in some of the uh, ELD platforms, you can switch over to a split sleeper. Like rule um, set? Yeah, like a rule set, and it'll calculate for you. Hmm. If the system is able to note to notice you went ahead and took a ten hour break, and it gives you the normal hours back that you should be getting, I don't hmm. see why you can't stay in a split sleeper berth uh, hour set in the ELD. Because are there ELDs that allow drivers to change the rule set? If that's a thing, that worries me. Most yeah, of them I, I have seen, it allows the carrier to change the rule set, but not the driver. I, I think it, you know what, we'd have to do some investigation on that, Brian, because I think there there's a thing that you can tap on, on some of the ELD platforms that, hey, I'm going to do a split sleeper oh. and it'll do the calculations for you. And when you want to come out of it, you can kind of preview what things look like if you came out, if you didn't split it or you finished the split and now you wanted to get out of it. I see. Um, so so maybe it's not so it? much a rule set. It's more just kind of a, a split sleeper option versus the alternative. I'm not doing. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. I think that that's what he's talking about. And um, yeah, I don't, maybe that's what Brian's asking kind of along the topic of today's show. Maybe I don't think that would be viewed as a log falsification to keep yourself with that option turned on, even when you're not using it, because it wouldn't be changing the the substantive version of your rest break. In other words, I don't think if you have the split sleeper option on, but you're you're not taking advantage of it, I don't think the system would be throwing or would be suggesting that there's no violations stemming from the lack of a full 10 hour rest break. In other words, I don't think the I think the system should be smart enough, even if you have that turned on to know when there are violations, but maybe I have that wrong. I just haven't seen that play out in practice. No, I believe you're exactly right. Uh, let's see. Jill here is asking, is there always a fine given when you have a critical or an acute violation in an on-site audit on top of you going conditional or unsat for your rating? That's been my experience, is that whenever there's a critical or acute violation, um, that it is very likely that you will subsequently get a civil uh, uh, notice of claim, which is how the FMCSA imposes civil penalties. And depending on the extent of those violations, that's going to dictate the amount. Is that your guys' experience? Yep. 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 And let's not let's not stop the money flow there. You know, let's <laughs> let's say it's going to cost you some money to get out of that, either yeah. in man hours within your own organization, or if you have to hire somebody like TruckSafe um, to to help you get out of it. Um, and then, what money are you losing in the brokers that'll work with you, or customers that'll work with you, or you know your insurance company? Does is that grounds? for the insurance company that you have right now to drop you or to give you notice of uh, non-renewal, you know, there is a yeah. ton of consequences that go with that conditional or pr- proposed unsat rating for sure. It ain't cheap. That's for sure. No. Uh, I worked with uh, probably 30 truck fleet 
couple months ago that had a critical level of our uh, of false logs that ended up with a conditional safety rating. Uh, number one, they had to get that conditional safety rating upgraded, so they hired us to do that. It wasn't cheap because a lot there's a lot of work that goes into getting your rating upgraded. It's not just a thing where you go to FMCSA and say, hey, I fixed these issues. That, that's, that's not how it works. They want to see lots of evidence that you've retrained the drivers, that you have implemented new policies, that you have done your own log audit on, on your hours of service records, and that you haven't incurred any other violations. So there's a lot that goes into it there. And then the carrier was subsequently fined, again, 30 truck fleet for a one critical level violation of false logs. They were fined $25,000 for that violation. Now, you can usually get you can usually negotiate a downward reduction of those types of fines and you can usually, you could sometimes get up to a 50% reduction. But the point is it's, it's not just a slap on the wrist. This is real money we're talking about here. Um, Jill's also asking, how do you help encourage motor carriers to pay hourly instead of by a mile as a measure to help with hours of service issues? Thoughts on that guys. I, I have always found it to be difficult to pay drivers by the hour because most of them don't want to be paid by the hour. You can't make as much. But I mean, again, there's a different there's a different persona of driver now than there was when when I was driving trucks. So uh, I also know people now are more focused on culture, stability, security and uh, where they may be more more apt to accept an hourly rate. But uh, it just depends on the persona of driver, I think. That's a whole nother show discussing why the per mile rate doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, freight's changed. It, I mean, we're going a little off off kilter here, but freight's changed. It there's very limited freight now that goes long haul. You know, the thousand mile plus. Everything is so regionalized that the mileage pay hasn't seen a big enough increase to accommodate the lack of miles that are there. So, you know, the, the per mile rate for long haul drivers, yeah, you wouldn't want to go to an hourly rate. You, yeah. You're definitely way above the, the bar there. But Rob, like what you said, and then you you add the, the freight change because was it Atri's report came out? I think the average driver drives, it's like 17 or 1800 miles a week now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, we were had that done by Wednesday back in the day, you know, so <laughs> I hate to, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, I know. I I I did sleep sometimes. So, you know, so I wonder you guys are still alive. <laughs> well, that's we don't do what we did because we either got caught doing it or we got away with it and you know, we're just lucky. James on LinkedIn is asking, you guys probably can't see this one, but he's asking or, or he says he says uh, then you get exposed when the auditor asks for an edited log and they have a detailed list of admins making numerous log edits that can bite you. So that's a whole other issue is, is who's making edits to logs and, and how are they doing that? Are these legitimate edits or not? Have you guys seen that cause any problems? I think it depends on what you're, how you're editing the log. I mean, if, if we're talking like true electronic logs, you have still have to certify that edit. So I have seen carriers get ir irritated and say, hey, we're we're editing this time to make it correct and you're not accepting it. So if we edit it and it comes to you for, for certification for your signature on that edit, you have to sign them all, which isn't right because they can't coerce you into signing something that's not correct. So and the, the other the thing day, is and the other we, thing is driving time is not editable. Right. It shouldn't yeah. be. Uh, I've heard of some ELD solutions <laughs> allowing you to edit drive time, which would be, which would make that ELD non-compliant. But that's the other big. That's that's one of the big ways that they're trying to crack down on log falsification is by making drive time uh, uneditable, so that yeah. we at least know how many hours accurately we should know how many hours accurately a driver is driving. Brian, have you seen those, those, you know, like carrier edits causing problems in any kind of context audits or anything like that? Yeah, it usually comes up when there's too many hands in the pot and too many people have access to make those edits. Um, like Rob said, it's still got to be sent back out the, to the driver to approve. But oftentimes, I'm not going to say oftentimes, but there's sometimes they're not even sure what they what they're looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, they got this edit and they're just like, yeah, okay, fine. Certify. You know, it's a huge point though, because so often carriers edit the time, 
they they think they're done. They they're washing their hands of the issue. We've we fixed the issue. But if the driver doesn't certify the log, now you've got another issue. Now you've got potentially missing logs because in my experience at least, when the FMCSA investigator is seeing a bunch of uncertified logs, they consider them missing. They're not complete. The driver hasn't taken the last step of certifying the accuracy. So then they just group all of those together and they consider them missing logs, which again, if you get if you're if they're looking at 100 logs and you got 10 or more that are missing, you're going to run yourself right back into a uh, a critical level violation. So definitely a trap to be uh, wary of there. Uh, thanks for raising that, James. Uh, let's see. We've got one other comment here. Off topic, you said hours of service. Each substantive category is looked at individually. 11, 14, 70. What about the other categories, such as drug and alcohol, DQ files, VM? Are they like uh, false logs? So those are also those things you've listed there, drug and alcohol, DQ files, vehicle maintenance, those are factors. And you, if DOT is looking at all of the factors for you, if they're doing a comprehensive audit, you are getting a rating in all of the factors. And each factor has their own set of critical and acute level violations. So in DQ, for example, if they're looking at driver qualification in your fleet, the two uh, critical level violations that can cause problems in that factor are um, missing or expired MVRs and then missing or expired med cards. Those are the two things that if there's a 10% or more violation rate that can, can uh, cause problems for your safety rating. Uh, but again, those other factors, the violations aren't double weighted. So you can escape an audit with critical level violations in those other factors, assuming there, you don't have a ton of them. Uh, with with the satisfactory safety rating, but if you get one critical level violation in the hours of service factor, it's a conditional rating at best. Is the point? Uh, okay, so we got a little bit off topic there, and we're kind of running out of time. But we talked about unplugging the device as one uh, common way we see log falsifications. We talked briefly, very briefly, about PC misuse. Although that's that's probably the most common culprit for log falsifications. And we could spend probably three shows talking about PC misuse. In fact, um, we've got a webinar, an entire like two hour webinar we did on PC misuse. It's available in our network that I mentioned at the start of the show. If you join our network, you get access to those types of webinars. Um, and then we also talked about what was the last one we talked about is log falsification. Oh, unassigned driving time uh, can lead to log falsifications. Any others that we missed there, guys? Ghost driver ghost driver explain what that is rob so um you know the way i've seen it done in the past is well i mean it was my aunt and um she worked she worked for a company i'm not going to tell you which one <laughs> since i'm here and uh when she worked Throwing for her us, aunt under the bus here rob yeah she just died recently so oh, we're okay well we're past that don't um, laugh at this anymore then <laughs> oh my god talk about so, <laughs> So the aunt would, she got sick, right? And she left, but she was like, hey, look, you know, you can just use me as the ghost driver. Just leave me on, you know, pay me a little money and you can use my CDL, which is still active, but she couldn't work. So a lot of companies, what they'll do is they'll use the ghost driver. So, you know, I've seen this not just happen with the aunt, but I've seen it happen in other cases. So it's, you know, they, they're, you're basically using a, like a legal persona, so to speak, they're not really working. Um, That's and, not and the person way. driving, right? So it's usually running a team, a team deal, which are, are harder to audit um, when you have two, and it makes it look funnier from from the initial look at. But um, that's that's one of the ways I've seen it done. Yeah, here's another common one someone raised. I meant to raise this, uh, but thank you for raising this. We've seen issues with drivers not logging fuel or making deliveries, pickups as on duty instead of showing off duty. I, I think may have had that one backwards um but yes so that is a very so with paper logs that was probably the the main way that dot investigators would catch you in a log falsification is they would take your fuel report your fuel records they would have an entire list of every time that a driver was fueling and they would expect to see a segment of on duty not driving time at that particular moment in time and a lot of times drivers would log that as off duty and and those are situations i think this is another important caveat is that log falsifications a lot of them are nefarious but some of them are just inadvertent 
like the driver just made a mistake or the driver didn't know this fueling off duty is one where a lot of drivers just don't realize that they need to be logging that as on duty, not driving. And then that is a log falsification. If that gets discovered, not just on paper logs, but also on ELDs, that's one of the ways that the DOT still catches you is if they see on the ELD log that the drivers logged themselves, put themselves in off duty status, and then they run the fuel report and they see that there was fueling happening at that time, that they're going to mark that up as an easy log falsification. Same thing with the loading and unloading. If they've got evidence to prove that the driver was loading or unloading, assisting in those efforts at a particular time, but they're shown as off duty on the log, easy pickings for a log falsification. Brian, any others? Did we hit them all? Yeah, I think those are, those are the big ones, you know, on, on the paper, the other, I was getting, thinking back to some of the things that was, that was done uh, back then. And it would be logging, at the speed limit or a mile or two under the speed limit. No real, no matter really how long it took you to get there. Yeah. You know, you get pinched in traffic or something like that. If it was a 55 mile an hour zone, you'd log it at 53. Yeah. Uh, so they couldn't get you for speeding, but you, you made, <laughs> if you were, if you were smart enough to know that thing, that trick, yeah. because we saw that all the time too. Investigators would calculate how many miles you drove on the day and they would divide it by how many driving hours you had logged on your log. And they, if it was, sometimes you would see crazy numbers, like in order to get that, that amount of driving in that amount or that many miles in that amount of driving time, you have to be going like a hundred miles an hour or something like that. So then they would just write you up for speeding versus a log falsification. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I saw one falsification that a company would use the adverse driving conditions often. Mm -hmm. that, that thing's almost impossible to use anyway, but that was the one thing that they would do is they would check, if not for the whole day, a section of the day, the mileage or the odometer here and the odometer at the end and divide it up. And if you average 57, 58 miles an hour for that entire time, there was no adverse driving conditions. Yeah. And they would- Yeah, I hate that exemption. Day that exemption runs so many carriers into trouble because it seems like it's a, it, it should be useful to you, but the, the, how narrowly the DOT defines that it's just virtually useless in most situations. Agreed. James on LinkedIn is asking drivers waiting hours at a facility to load. Can the driver go off duty resting in a park vehicle? And then once load is ready, go on duty for their trailer hook is the off duty considered a false log. I'm going to say it this way. There's a burden of proof. If you are in the sleeper berth and your truck is equipped with a sleeper berth, the burden of proof is on the officer to prove that you were not in the sleeper berth. If you were off duty, depending on, um, you know, the definition of resting in a park vehicle and things like that, off duty, you have to prove that you were off duty, that you were free of any uh, responsibility to that truck trailer or load. So, you know, you can use that however you want, but that was kind of the way that, you know, we, we did is if, if you were in that loading facility and you weren't responsible for counting the load or loading it or anything like that, and you were in the sleeper berth, log it there. That's yeah. where you were. Rob, any thoughts? Same thing. Yeah, it can get, uh, so I agree. I, uh, you know, the investigators and law enforcement look at those critically. They, they see you uh, logging long periods of off-duty time while you're at a, a shipper's or receiver's facility. They're going to look at it critically. But I think there are situations, as Brian said, where you can legitimately log your time off-duty. The regulation says that in order to log that time as off-duty, you have to be relieved of all responsibility for performing any work, meaning you could do whatever you want during that period where the, where the shipper or the receiver are loading or unloading the truck. It gets a little tricky and a little gray when you're talking about a situation where, hey, you have no responsibilities to help with the loading or unloading, but you do kind of have a responsibility to stay there with the truck. In other words, the motor carrier doesn't want you leaving that truck unattended. Is that a, resp a work-related responsibility that would warrant you being left in on-duty, not driving status? Uh, there are differing opinions on that. Well, for that, I would kind of go back to the, like, the labor rule that says, do you have to pay truck drivers? You know, the because they're out there for, you know, just say long haul, say they're out for 28 days or, or whatever it is, they're not working 
but they are kind of they're they're in possession of your truck. They can't go home and spend time with their kids. So, uh, but do you have to log that time as like, hey, I'm technically on duty because I'm responsible to be in this truck for the next three weeks? No, but like he said, it's the burden of proof and how you how you log what you log. So it's I I would always do sleep or birth if I was going to be there for an extended yeah. period of time. That way, I could split it and and use my time as efficiently as possible. What benefit do you get out of logging it as off-duty rather than on-duty not driving? Because it doesn't extend your 14-hour rule unless you're on the split sleeper berth. So I guess what it – yeah, so what what benefit does it does it get you? No, save in terms of – say that again, 70. Brian. Yeah, that's All right, safe on your 70, hour. on your accumulative hours. Yeah, that's right. But for me, I would try to, I, I shop for sleeper berth. And, you know, if it was, especially say, yeah. if I knew it was a customer that I went to a lot, just say sweet potatoes, where it might take some crazy number, like four or five hours to get loaded. Mm-hmm. I would take full, whether I was there or not, I was going to go into sleeper berth and then split that yeah. later uh, and take advantage of it that way. But, yeah. So those are the two areas, split sleeper berth. And then the, uh, the 70 hour rule is the benefit there. But if you're not, if you're not close to running a foul of the 70 hour rule, then it really does, you no good. And if you're not taking advantage of the split sleeper berth, then you're just potentially running yourself into problems. It's the same kind of deal with, um, uh, with personal conveyance. The thing I always say about personal conveyance is if you don't truly need it, to to if you're not at risk of running afoul of your substantive hours of service limits, I'm turning personal conveyance off because it is only likely to cause me problems. It's only the fleets that truly need to legitimately use personal conveyance where it makes sense for them to do so. In my view, if you have drivers who are home, you know, uh, you know, out and back every day and and aren't at risk of going over their 11 hour 14 hour time limits then then turn that thing off because that's just going to cause you all kinds of trouble uh last question here and then we got a wrap here troy on linkedin is asking can false logs occur under the short haul exemption can log falsifications occur for drivers that are under short haul i guess it depends on what you what you i mean i look at false logs as anything that's unrealistic you're any record of duty status that's not truthful. And your record of duty status, you do have one for short haul, which is your timesheet. So if you're if you're pencil whipping the timesheet, um, which is easy to do because you know you're not differentiating drive time and, and on duty by regulation, and um, provided you're back within 14 hours, I mean, who's to say that you 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 drove more than the 10 hour you know or or the or the 11 so it's it depends on what mode you are but um I've never so seen say, a time card. I've never seen a time card personally written up as a log falsification. What I usually see it written up as, let's say a driver has a time card, but they should have had a log because they exceeded the short haul bounds. It would be written up as a missing log for that particular day, which would contribute to a 10% violation rate potentially. That's the most common way where I've seen that. But I, I agree, Rob, that even if we don't call it a false log, in other words, I don't think it would be grouped with the other true log falsifications to calculate a 10% rate, but where certainly if the investigator has reason to believe that that time card is falsified, they've got other enforcement mechanisms to write that up as a falsified federally required document, uh, yeah. even if it doesn't impact your, your rate there. Brian, any thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I think if, you know, you, you, when you start talking about fueling or loading or unloading outside the time boundaries of your time card, um, that, like you said, that technically that's not, doesn't fall under the, the falsification on, on the pile that they're checking on a regular E-Rod, but, um, that could raise, that would definitely raise the eyebrows if something sure. like that happened. All right, guys, we could have spent another several hours talking about that. Appreciate you guys as always. Great discussion. Thanks everybody for weighing in with your questions. It's always more fun when we got uh, questions coming in that we're able to address. Um, we, uh, Brian, where can people reach out if they have questions for you or want to learn more about what Reliance Partners is doing? Uh, ReliancePartners.com. There's always exciting stuff going on there. You can look me up on uh, LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm on both. I'm always happy to answer questions. Oh, and I'm on, uh, I'm on the truck safe network too on, on that, uh, social media platform. So that that's probably the best place to get a hold because you'll probably actually get the right answer if you put it on there and, and I don't answer it. Also check out Brian just had an article come out. Oh, was it freight waves? 
Yeah, on freight waves about growing for the sake of growth. That we see companies outgrow their infrastructure and this type of stuff starts happening. Yeah, for sure. So check that out. You can check that out. Freight waves website, Rob, where can people find out more and follow you? I'm everywhere, but primarily on truck safe. So, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yep. LinkedIn. You need to follow Rob on LinkedIn. If you're not following him, he's posting like two times a day, something he's got some kind of crazy LinkedIn schedule and it's all DOT. Uh, most of it's DOT related. So be sure to follow him. Uh, if there's anything we can do to help you over at truck safe, uh, you know, safety rating upgrades, manage services, any of that type of stuff. Uh, and also all of the content that we're pushing out online courses, uh, YouTube channel, everything like that. Check us out over at trucksafe.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate you joining me. We're going to wrap it up there. Thanks everybody. Talk to you. Thanks. Later. See ya. Thanks guys.